We're going through Belch Confession, Article 11, and John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. I've titled this the Holy Spirit. So let's see what God has for us today. Belgian Confession, Article 11. We believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but only proceeding from the two of them. In regard to order, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, of one and the same essence and majesty and glory, with the Father and the Son being true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. And then John 14, this verses 15 through 21. I've chosen this for the Holy Spirit, and we'll see why. <clears throat> Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see you, see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. <clears throat> so I've chosen the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion, different faith groups, different movements, on what does the Holy Spirit do? Who is the Holy Spirit? Is he the one who just gives us gifts of tongues? If you guys come from a Pentecostal background, is he kind of an unknown deity or person? What does the Holy Spirit do? That's what we'll be talking about today. And so I have four points, four kind of themes that give us categories for who the Holy Spirit is. Number one, he's the advocate. Two, he is the truth. Three, he is the inheritance. And four, he is our security. And so we'll see the Holy Spirit is not just some random deity that we don't have much to do with. He sometimes gives us inspiration. He shows us what we're supposed to be doing in life. He gives us good feelings, good thoughts. We will see the Holy Spirit actually testifies to us about our heavenly home. And he's our attorney to remind the Father to make our case from the Son that we too have this perfect obedience because of the Son. So let's see what he says. First is the advocates in verses 15 through 16. And when he starts this by saying, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we'll see, he's building this argument. He's not saying to you and to me that if you continually keep these commandments, I will love you. 
because we can't. We can't keep these commandments. And so it seems to us, this is a lost cause. How do I do this? And this is where knowing kind of how John argues throughout these verses. He takes a point, <clears throat> he puts it at the beginning and the end. And there's a middle section that he's building to. And this starts at the beginning, and we'll see this also bookends these seven verses. So he's making this argument, and we'll see why he's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because he moves on right after this and saying, I will ask the Father in verse 16, and he will give you another helper. He's not saying this is the logical next step in yours keeping my commandments. What he's saying here is, I will ask the Father to give you another helper. This other helper, if you have seen your footnotes, if you have your footnotes on your Bible, a couple other words to use is the advocates or the comforter. How a first century Jew or Gentile Christian would have understood from advocate or this word used is an attorney. It's the first century equivalent of attorney. Saying this person of the Trinity is your, your attorney. He's the one who goes up for you in front of the judgment seat and says, he has perfect righteousness. He has the righteousness of the Son. The Son has purchased this one. The Son has redeemed this one. And I am that guarantee that he is in the Son. It would have been very legal language for them, this advocate. They would have seen this and say, I know somebody who's been in court. I've been in court. I've purchased something that needed some sort of court presence. Whatever it may have been, they would have seen this as very court language type of stuff. And this another is not saying completely different from me when saying, I'll give you another helper, as in like, oh, I'll pull this guy from somewhere else and say, here's another one. He's saying this other, like the Belgian Confession tells us, this is of the same essence as Jesus. It's another person. Not another thing, like I said, he's just pulling somebody else out of the crowd and says, oh, you'll work. He's telling us this other, because I'm going to the right hand of the Father, I'm giving you another one of us. Because these disciples would have said, you're going somewhere, and we don't know where that is. Who is going to lead us? Who's going to testify to us about the truth? That's the advocate. He brings him near, gives him to us. Because Jesus is a physical human person, right now at the right hand of the Father, he gives us this spirit to dwell in all of us. I know it sounds strange, but Jesus can't dwell in each person in his physical body. So he sends this spirit to testify about him so that he can dwell in each one of us and testify, and show us, and be our attorney. And they move on to next, saying he's also the truth. So he's the attorney, but he's also the truth. <coughs> the Spirit 
right here, even the spirit of truth, <coughs> John is the only New Testament author to use this phrase. He uses this phrase in three other texts. And so the, the kind of the, the combination of all four of these texts show us the Holy Spirit is exclusively the one sent by the Father for truth. John 15 says, it confesses concerning Jesus. John 16 says, it only speaks what it hears. And then John, 1 John 4, it's connected, the spirit of truth is connected with those who hear God versus the spirit of the deceit. The spirit is truth because it testifies to the truth. It testifies to that reality that is to come. It's not just some strange truth claim that we think, oh, that's true. Somebody says two plus two is four. It's like, that's a true thing. Say, no, the truth is to come. That reality is to come. That's what the spirit testifies to. Spirit of truth, the true thing to come that you and me, we have as this sure assurance. That to come is what the Spirit is speaking about. He's providing us assurance that our heavenly home is secured. Your heavenly home is secured. God is with us, as it says at the end of verse 17. You will know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. As we know, Christmas season, Emmanuel, God with us. Kind of using that same language here. He will be with you because he dwells in you. This truth is an abstract spirit of truth, true heavenly reality, like we've been saying. And then there's a contrast with the world. As well, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because they neither see him nor know him. And this see him is not some physical vision, although back in the first century, Jesus would have been. They saw him but did not see him. They saw his miracles but did not see what they pointed to. They heard him but their ears were still shut. I could not receive spiritual wisdom. And we see this again in 1 John 2, where those who walk in the light love their brother. It's been illuminated for us, whereas the world is still in darkness. They cannot see because they're in darkness. And this will be right here, too. If you guys noticed it, will be in you. It's not saying one day it'll be in you. I think it's more will be in you as in will continually be in you, will from here on out stay in you, and will be in you as more of a promise. It will be in you, not will eventually be in you, but it will be in you, it will stay with you. And so we see that the Holy Spirit's the advocate, he's our defense attorney. We see he's the truth because he is the truth and he points to the truth, that heavenly reality truth, He's also the inheritance. And we see that from John 8 or 14, verses 18 through 19. 
I will not leave you as orphans. Because he knows them. He knows he's leaving them. The son is leaving the disciples. But he's also saying, I am giving you part of the divine essence, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings us to the Father. He cleaves us. He, he makes us one with the Father, our true Heavenly Father. And Paul brings this out in Ephesians 1. And I think kind of the same language is used here too. We have this inheritance coming. And kind of a, a, an easy illustration is buying a house. When you have a house, you have a down payment that eventually you go to the house. And this down payment is that 10 or 20%, whatever it is that you give, or 0%, 5%. And you get a receipt after making that down payment that says, this deed is for this house that you will, in 60 days, 90 days, 30 days, whatever it may be, you will dwell in. That is your inheritance because you've purchased it. We're shown here kind of the same language. Paul uses the same language for like a mortgage, for buying something, a receipt that you're given for something that will come in the future. And John uses this kind of same thing with orphans. The Holy Spirit is your promise that the inheritance to come is yours. Heaven is yours. All that the Father have, all that the Father has is yours. And when he says, I will come to you yet a little while, you see a period right between that. I will come to you, period, in the verse 19 starts, yet a little while. And I think maybe a, a way to nuance this is you take out the period and you maybe put it right after a little while and says, and the world doesn't change anything necessarily about the text. But I think it brings out some of the meaning. It says this, I will come is really pressing on us the foreboding nature, meaning this is coming real soon and real quick. When he says, I will come to you in a little while. And we're thinking, been 2,000 years. Seems like a long time. 2,000 years is a really long time for us. But we have to remember Psalms, I think it's 95, 92 or 95, speaks about this. A thousand years for us is like a day for the Lord. And so a way of thinking about this, it's been two days for the Lord. It's been 2,000 years for us. It's been two days for the Lord. So I think he really actually means this. I am coming to you soon. I will be there, I will be there yet a little while. For us, it seems like a long time which makes life hard, makes decisions hard, makes sacrifice hard, makes persecution hard, makes dealing with bad bosses hard, makes relationships hard, makes finances hard. But he's saying, I am coming. And he really means it. For him, it's been two days. I know it's kind of a crude example, but for him, it's really been like two days. But he's saying... I am really coming soon. Your concept of time is earthly. But he's saying, I am coming soon. 
And then he has another contrast like he had before. The world will see me no more, but you will see me. The world will no longer experience the benefits of having Christians, of having kind of that internal law, that law that stops society from doing things as bad as they could have done. The world will one day no longer have that. When the spirit releases itself, when time is consummated, when time ends, when Jesus comes back, brings his people with him, the world will no longer have that grace. I think that's partially what he's saying. And he says at the end, because I live at the end of verse 19, you also will live. This comes back to inheritance. Our inheritance is the life of Jesus with the Father by the Spirit. And then John ends. So he's built this. We know the Spirit's our advocate. He's our defense attorney. The Spirit is the truth <coughs> because it points to the truth, the heavenly reality, and is the truth. Jesus' obedience on our behalf. And the inheritance, that's fatherly inheritance will be ours. We will no longer be orphans. We have the Spirit with us to testify us about our Heavenly Father. We will no longer be orphans. And he ends with security. This stuff is sure. John, verses, or John chapter 14, verses 20 to 21. He says, at, or in verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And so I think what he's doing here is he's comparing. When he says that I am in my Father, he's comparing this, his inness with the Father, to our inness with him and his inness with us. So again, he's comparing this. He's saying, as much as I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. That's a close, perfect bond, and we share that. As close and as perfect as a relationship, because of their perfection, as a father is with the son, we share this with the son. He's giving us this comparison. The spirit is the glue that allows this to happen and shows us, promises us, secures this to us that you and me we are in the father he is that glue the spirit dwelling in us is that true testimony that we are on the father by the son through the spirit and then he ends kind of the same way he started whoever has my commandment and keeps them he it is who loved me who loves me so like we previewed earlier in this sermon Jesus closes off this like kind of stylized, specialized section by basically restating what he said. So this stuff is supposed to point to us when he begins with the same statement, basically, and ends with the statement. It's supposed to point to us, look in the middle. That middle is that meat of this sandwich. And the meat is, I will not leave you as orphans. This spirit is of me, is of this essence. I'm giving the Spirit so that it can dwell on all believers, 
because he is a physical human being, cannot dwell on all believers. He sends the Spirit to testify, to make sure his promises dwell in us and stay in us. So that middle section, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. That's what he's pointing to. So he bookends these, this, these seven verses by, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And at the end, whoever keep my, keeps my commandments and holds them, he it is who loves me. We are treated as though truly we have kept these commandments. Because we have the spirit of testimony, the down payment, the surety that the word that Jesus presented to us is pure before the Father and is accepted in his sight. We are treated as if we have completed those commandments. And he who loves me, we love by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. These seven verses pound in us the Spirit's divinity, the co-equality, his sharing of the equality with the Trinity, that he is our advocate, he's our, he's our attorney, he's the testimony and truth itself, our inheritance and our security. As the Belgian Confession states, and as Jesus gives us through the words of John. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us <coughs> the Spirit, that you've shown us that you love us through the Spirit, that you show us your truth through the Spirit, and you point us to this reality so that we can live here and now, knowing our home is secure, and we have this assurance right now. And that is because you sent us the Holy Spirit and the Son is sitting at your right hand, knowing that the Spirit is doing its work because the Son has done what he promised to do because your plan is perfect. Pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.